Travis, you seem very excited to record this podcast. Well, I have a new lease on life. It's Schranners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And this is Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello. How are you? I am well. How are you, sir? You know, I'm, I'm having a great day. Are you having a good day? Yes, I believe I am. You're getting a lot done. You're taking care of paying bills and calling health insurance people. I'm ve- you're having a great day. Uh, I'm having a very productive day, yes. I've mostly been watching TV on my computer, so... I, I, oh, just so everyone at home knows, you may from time to time hear Buttercup uh, scratching around on the bed. She's got a cone on her head because uh, she's having some allergy issues and we yeah. don't want her to chew on herself. So if you hear that, it's not somebody trying to break into the <laughs> podcast. It's just our dog being a dummy. Yeah, but she's so cute, that cone. She is. She's very cute, and it's fun to toss treats into and <laughs> dirty, dirty laundry and stuff. All right. Well, let's get on with it, dear. Okay, um, so Teresa, let me ask you a question before we get started. How am I as a roommate? You are not the worst roommate I've ever had. Yay! I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen. I'm going into this knowing that I am not the world's best roommate. Ask anybody. Ask Brent. Uh, ask the guy that lived with me in college for three months before he moved out of my dorm room. Mm -hmm. Do I remember his name? I do, but I don't want to say. I want to protect his anonymity. Oh, because you were such a bad roommate. I was a terrible roommate. Like, we lived together in the dorms for three months, and I came home one day to find him moving his stuff out. And I was like, oh, are you moving? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I didn't get another roommate, so I had to dorm all to myself for like six months. That was Lucky you. Well, he also, um, he was not a great roommate either. We were, neither of us. I mean, we were like freshman 18-year-old dudes. We were not good roommates. Because you lacked experience, is what you're saying. Yeah, and like basic human decency in many ways. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we were, we were not great. But so, I feel like there's so many aspects of, of roommateism. The rheumatism, if you will. <laughs> no, that, no, that's not it. That's not what it is. No. That uh, require some pretty in-depth etiquette discussion. So where should we start? Well, first, I would like to start with what I felt was the most sort of historically appropriate um, t- living situation that I could think of as far as roommates go. Okay. And that was the boarding house. The bo- Okay. I know of this idea because uh, you hear it referenced in, like, movies and TV shows and stuff. But, like, what is a boarding house? Because I've lived in houses before where it seemed like they used to be singular rooms that are now opened up. And what's what's the deal? Well, so what normally happened was you would have a residential house or, in some cases, a specially built hotel where it was uh, private bedrooms and then a shared living space, which may or may not include a bathroom. Okay, sort of like 
sort of like an Airbnb. No, not an Airbnb, well, like I mean, a B&B. Like a, yeah, sort of like a B&B. Where you might have like a place where you all eat and probably not watch TV. This is probably before you'd all get together to watch Jeopardy, right? Right, yes. This, is, this was mostly in the 18 and 1900s. Okay, so uh, were these uh, upper end places like, or were these for like, my like workers and who were these for? Well, they were the less expensive choice of living um, because you they didn't really have at the time segmented kind of apartment complexes, right? So it was mostly residential buildings or um, pay by night hotels. Okay, and this was kind of an in between where um, you were given less room and less luxury for a smaller price. But you were all kind of shoved together in this house with whoever else happened to be there. Right. Well, you would normally have your own private bedroom, or if you chose to segment it further, it would be two people to a bedroom, which was common in um, in post-war era New York City. Um, but... Uh, this was it was mostly for urban environments. So these people were day workers. They were uh, secretaries and seamstresses, and um, they were, you know, writers, a lot of writers, like Walt Whitman. Uh, he lived in boarding houses all the way up until the Civil War. And what are we ta- like, how big a room are we talking? Are these like, Sizable? I mean, probably not. Like, even I asked that question, the answer is probably small rooms, right? Um, Well, so an average would be about 150 square feet. Okay, so like, maybe like a 10 by 15 room for two people. That ain't that big. That's like the dorm room that I lived in in college. Yeah, yeah right. So it might have it might have a bath actually in it. Might have like have an actual um, tub. In it? Oh, in the room. So not yes. like an ensuite, like a no, just like not on room. Right. It's just there. <laughs> or it might have a sink, um, you know, and it had sufficient electrical services for lights. Um, and usually I would say probably central heat. They didn't have, uh, this was during the time of, you know, of, uh, you wouldn't have your stove in your room anymore. Oh, so, so there that's probably good. some sort of furnace powering right, the building, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Powering the building. It's not a robot, Travis. Heating the building. <laughs> and uh, you probably didn't have access to your own telephone line. It was probably a communal telephone line okay. to the the whole building. Um, but with a lot of these places, with your rent, you received house cleaning services, and you would also get three meals a day if you so chose. That's not a bad deal. I mean, it's not ideal, <laughs> but it's not great. Um, but listen, I would love if somebody were responsible for feeding us three times a day and cleaning. It probably wasn't like four course fancy meals, though. No, it was probably like porridge and sandwiches. The and more stews. you talk about this, the more it sounds more and more to me like college dormitories, where you get like you know your meal card and you go down to the cafeteria and somebody cleans up the living space not your bedroom mind you your mother doesn't work here there's no fairies cleaning the room or whatever but like the you know the communal spaces get cleaned up and someone takes out the big garbage can at the end of the hallway 
Yeah, it, it is a little bit like dorm living. Um, so what happened is these were often concentrated in downtowns, like I said, and um, they didn't have a lot of amenities actually in the boarding house, but because everything was so close, you know, you could take advantage of what the town pretty much had to offer. You know, they would have affordable eateries and laundries and billiard halls, saloons and and all those sorts of things. So that it kind of made it so that although your bedroom was in the boarding house, your home was the downtown area. And it's like the city was a character in your story. (laughs) So this was all well and good, especially in places like Boston. I've heard of it, yes. yes. Uh-huh. I'm I'm familiar with the city. Where um, there were popular boarding houses in places like Beacon Hill, um, where they even had, you know, uh, ladies-only boarding houses. Uh, they had... Um, they had groups of people from really all walks of life, Irish, Jewish immigrants, all kinds of people living together in, in these areas. And... Um, not only were there special boarding houses sort of dedicated to boarders, almost every house, every home in this area, especially Beacon Hill, had at least one room for rent. So, so it is a little bit like Airbnb, right? Yeah, everybody's a taking. Bit. They're looking for that second uh, income from or third income or fourth by being able to rent out a room of their house. Yes. And as I said, Walt Whitman lived in boarding houses from his early teens until after the Civil War. And he wrote in 1842, married men and single men, old men and pretty girls, milliners and masons, cobblers, colonels and over-counter jumpers, tailors and teachers, lieutenants, loafers, ladies, lack brains and lawyers, okay, printers well, and part- all right, parsons. All well, right, we, we get it. Well, a lot of people, a variety of people. Black spirits and white. Blue spirits and gay okay. all go out to board. Okay, cool, Walt. We get it. <laughs> he, he he didn't he didn't was, use one word when a hundred would do, huh? He was not known for his brevity. <laughs> no, that Walt Whitman. Yeah, we get it, dog. There were a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people bored. But that I guess that's not as poetic and beautiful to say. Like, sure are a lot of people boarding. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this form of living really started to go into deep decline by the 1930s. Why? It's like I'm not I'm not trying to I- idealize this kind of like close. I'm sure that it had a lot of issues and everything. But f- f- as someone who lives in a very expensive city in America, it seems like listen, if living fancy, you're not worried about it, and you're just worried about like keeping costs down. This doesn't sound like a terrible option. Well, uh, with the 1930s, there started to be a little bit more of a of a planning type idea to cities where instead of catch as catch can people started to really you know design cities um and they began to be filled with apartments and condos and houses and and just the idea of boarding became a little bit um it uh, once people were upwardly mobile in socioeconomic scales those people started moving away from the boarding house life. And so the only clientele that was left were people who were down on their luck. Maybe they um, 
had difficulty holding down jobs, getting credit, things so like, like that. So like most things, they followed the money and apartments and houses were where the money was and boarding houses were not where the money was. So those got demolished to make room for apartments and that kind of thing. They got demolished and they got um, kind of lawed around mm-hmm. where uh, a specific case that I found was in California at this time. They began to pass laws about overcrowding in rooms um, because under the guise of when things are overcrowded, there tends to be a kind of a cesspool for disease, right? Lots of people living sure, in, in the yeah. same area uh, may not have as good a hygiene as you would if you had a larger space to kind of spread out. Sure. I mean, that that, that doesn't make no sense. Right. But these laws were really they were concentrated on the Chinese immigrant populations um, because their socioeconomic standing was low at the time. Um, And so the boarding house going away really made it so that those people were out of luck for their living arrangements. Do you think in your research looking over this kind of stuff, not to turn this into a CNN interview or something, um, a CNN interview. Do you think that this kind of model of like, you know, maybe a communal bathroom, communal living space, and everybody gets a bedroom? D- could you see this like becoming popular again with like the tiny home movement and that kind of thing? Do you think this small kind of living could ever make a comeback as far as boarding houses go? Well, actually, oh, for you to say that, what a twist. <laughs> There have been several attempts, especially in larger cities with um, young person populations such as uh, San Francisco, where the cost of living, believe it or not, is even higher than here in L.A. I do believe it. (laughs) There have been several attempts to kind of bring back this idea, although the business models have not quite been successful. Well, I think you would have to really, like... I feel like maybe tiny homes have had this issue, too, of really, like, PR campaign of showing people why it's better, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, well, if I'm going to live somewhere, I would like to live somewhere where I have room to really let myself settle in and feel comfortable and at home. And I I say you go even farther. This is an idea I've been pitching for a while. I think it already exists in Japan, but I want some here in America. Want a nap hotel. Hear me out. Sometimes (laughs) you get into a city and you took a red eye and it's like 7 a.m. And you can't check into your hotel until 2 p.m. But you're very tired and you just want to nap for like four hours. Boom. Nap hotel. Note. (laughs) This, you have to be very careful that this did not turn into like, you know, a by the hour CD like Sex motel. But nap hotel, I think it's a great idea. I would really like to see it in America. TM, TM, TM. TM, TM, TM. No, you know what? In fact, I'm going to lift the trademark off of this one because I just want it to exist so I could take naps when I'm traveling. Because sometimes you're walking around the city and you're exploring New York and you're not ready to go home, but like an hour nap would be really great. I would like to be able to nap wherever I am. And you know what? If you're listening, amusement park planners, you should have nap areas in your amusement parks too so I can nap in the middle of the day and I don't have to go home because we're not all 12 years old. Some of us get tired because we're old people and we would just like to take a nap. I'm just throwing that out there. So here are a couple of successful models for what you were talking about before as far as like adult dorms. Um, there is a neighborhood in Brooklyn in Crown Heights 
that is called, and they have a co-living space called uh, Common. I love his work. <laughs> Where you rent a one-bedroom apartment, um, and they had 19 rooms, and they received 300 rental applications. So there was definitely people who are interested in this. Um, but these contracts are usually very short, like month-long contracts. Um, and so it's it really does cater to a certain clientele who maybe are uh, young professionals or just out of college or, you know, people who are not quite ready to be earning like 40 times what you need for rent a month. Yes. So one more example of, of one of these places that actually seems to be working is called Pure House, which is also in Brooklyn's Williamsburg neighborhood. Um, and it describes itself as a highly curated community of like-minded individuals. That sounds like a cult. Is that not a cult? That sounds terrifying. Um, a highly know, curated community of like-minded individuals? What they mean is... What they mean is they provide uh, a, a multitude of optional programs that you can go into. So like they have um, morning meditation availability, they have cooking classes, yoga, you know, all that kind of stuff that people, you know, would do in maybe a community center. So it's almost like the why, where you would live there and do their programs. So let's, before we head into the break and get into questions, let's talk about, we've both lived with many roommates throughout our lives. So just to start off with, is there any kind of umbrella blanket uh, roommate advice that you would give to somebody who's maybe looking to move in with someone for the first time? I would say that the most successful roommate relationships are business relationships. How do you mean? Um, if you, if both parties are impartial enough to the relationship they have with each other, their communication will be open enough to facilitate a good working relationship. I mean, really, I, I 1000% agree because I think that what it comes down to is the key is treat it like any other relationship. And I think... I wish I could go back in time and talk to young Travis uh, about roommating with people because I think the problem is you want to avoid those minor individual conflicts, but really you're not opening up lines of communication that way. Like if you're afraid of upsetting them so you don't let them know when you're upset, you're not communicating well. Right. Yeah. Because too often it's like, oh, they didn't do the dishes. Oh, I'll just do them. And that doesn't help. That doesn't fit. Like, that doesn't make things better. It just makes you kind of stew a little bit. Right. And a lot of those things can be avoided if you set up all of your expectations ahead of time. So don't wait until problems arise to address them. Try and think about problems that may come up. And I think that's going to be good general advice that I'm sure we will touch back on as we answer some questions. But first, here's a word from some other Max Fun shows. I'm 
I'm Allegra Ringo. And I'm Renee Colbert. And we host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog? Renee, can I tell you about a dog I met this week? Uh, I wish that you would. In turn, though, can I tell you about a dog hero? May I tell you about a dog breed in a segment I like to call Mutt Minute? <laughs> I would love that. Could we maybe talk about some dog tech? Could we have some cool guests on, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, Nicole Byer, and Ann Wheaton? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. You're on board. What do you say we uh, we do all of this and put it into a podcast? Yeah, okay. You think? <laughs> all right. Uh, should we call it like I don't know? Can I pet your dog? Sure. All right. Uh, what do you What do you say we put it on every Tuesday on Maximum Fun or on iTunes? Sounds the- good to me. <laughs> Meeting's over. Attention, Europe. This fall, Maximum Fun is bringing a bunch of your favorite podcasters to London. Catch Judge John Hodgman, International Waters, and Bullseye, all recording live episodes at the London Podcast Festival. We'll have fan meetups and we'll be joined on stage by a glittering array of celebrity guests. The London Podcast Festival runs September 22nd through 26th, and you can buy your tickets right now. Just go to MaximumFun.org. Okay, we got lots of questions for this one, as you might imagine. Lots of people uh, wanting to know how to roommate better. Um... A lot of the questions, uh, there is a lot of dishes questions. Um, this question is from Troitel on Twitter. At what point do you just give in and do all of the dishes? Um, goodness. I'm, I'm sorry that he feels, th- I'm sorry that they feel they have to do all the dishes. Um, I think that... If you confront someone with a sink full of dirty dishes, it's probably not going to get better right away. So I would say the point that you do all the dishes is you take care of all those dishes and then you talk to your roommate. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky thing because I understand, I mean, I'm not the one who cares about dishes in general in life when it's me and any other person, but I, I understand the difficulty of like... How many times do you have to tell someone that they need to do the dishes before you just run out of dishes and you need to do dishes? You know what I mean? Yes. Well, uh, which is why it's so important, I think, to discuss these type of things before it happens, where you have a system. Um, And not to say that systems don't break down, because sometimes they do. Um, But you you should have a system before this kind of stuff happens, where um, maybe you have an agreement of, if you use a dish, you wash that dish. And that way, dishes don't pile up. Or maybe you divide chores in the way of the kitchen is your responsibility this week. And everyone tries to be courteous with the messes that they make. But dishes that don't get done are the person's responsibility whose responsibility is to do the kitchen. Yeah, to, to, to quote Shakespeare, couple it with something, make it a word and a blow of like, you can't just do the action, you have to also talk to them. Because I think that that's, the, just doing all the dishes while you're grumbling over the sink is passive aggressive. Doing all the dishes and then going to them and saying, hey, it finally got to a point where I had to do the dishes, I need you to be better about this, we need to share responsibility, this isn't fair. That's just like addressing the issue and address the issue is always better than being passive aggressive. I definitely agree. And I, I also agree with the way you mostly phrase that too, because we're cool. Always, I almost nailed it. <laughs> Got it. We're always talking about, it's important that you talk about 
an I statement yourself, um, it becomes less accusatory as far as I need you to do the dishes instead of why aren't you doing the dishes? It's your turn. That's very accusatory and people tend to get very defensive about it. So I I think that that's a really great idea, Travis. Good work. Thank you. Um, This is from Katie on Twitter. How do you respectfully navigate a food share situation? Oh, this is a tough one. Uh, Especially if they seem to steal your food and not contribute in other ways. This is difficult because uh, we got a lot of like the food share, you know, Mm -hmm. like some of the staples. Like, do you really need to buy two dozen eggs? Do you need to buy two jugs of milk? Do you need to buy two loaves of bread? And like, uh, what's your take on the food sharing and how to do it right? Well, I think that the food sharing really depends on how communicative you are with each other. Uh, because I've had situations where everybody had their own shelf and their own stuff, and you only ate the own the stuff that you bought, because people either um, couldn't be bothered to replace things that they finished, or they were uh, concerned that their foodstuffs were more expensive than everyone else's. So in that situation, I think that if you have the physical ability to divide everything up, you may need to do that. Conversely, if you have a good working relationship and a good communication policy with your roommates, I think a really great idea is if you finish it, you replace it. Or if it's almost out. Oh, but then then you run into that like, I, instead of drinking a full glass of milk, I'm going to leave one inch of milk in the bottom so that they have to finish it. And now everybody's going to f- race to see who's the last person to drink the milk. Like I Not said. Not that I would ever do that, Brent. You need that good relationship where you understand that that's not a situation you would want to be in. So you don't put other people in that situation. And if you're like me, then you get to enjoy one of my favorite things about any kind of arrangement, and that is charts. And you get to, like, make a thing that you fill out where it's like, I bought bread this date. And so that way, like, they know it's their turn to buy bread next. You know, like, when you work in a retail job and you got to check the bathrooms and you sign off what time you check the bathrooms and who is the person you check the bathroom. Maybe you don't know this because I don't know that you ever had to do this (laughs) job. But this is a thing that you do. And so that way, like, alternate who buys eggs and who buys milk and who buys bread. You know, what Brent and I always did when we lived together is if, like, we wanted to eat something that the other person had bought or we like needed to because we were out of groceries. We always like asked first, like we would like lean our heads into the living room and say like, Hey, do you mind? Like if I have some of your chicken tenders or whatever and give the person the opportunity to say yes or no, um, because this would all like, this is, mm, this was always the thing in the food share (laughs) scenario that always made me most frustrated with any roommate I've ever had ever, including you, but I love you very much. What? Which is when like, you know, there's like one ice cream cone left and the, and you're like looking forward to it all day and you get home (laughs) and like, that was going to be your ice cream cone treat because you were a good boy and you got everything done when your hard day and you were out there and you did a good job in class and you're going to have an ice cream cone treat and you get home and the ice cream cone's gone. Oh no. This is where communication is important. Yes. Because if you are looking forward to that ice cream treat. <laughs> Leave a note on the fridge. Do not eat my ice cream cone <laughs> treat. I'm going to be a good boy today and earn that ice cream cone. No, no. Notes oh. are notes are easily misconstrued. You need to speak to that person and say to them, I'm really looking forward to that ice cream cone treat. So that if even if they eat it, they replace it before you get back. 
Yes. Oh, if I get back and that ice cream country is gone, you know, fill in the blank with any treat here. Um, this question is from Chelsea on Twitter. Do you have to be social with your roommates? How to navigate if you wouldn't really be friends in real life? Um, I don't think that it is required that you be social. Um, I think it is required that you be polite, especially in shared spaces. Uh, it's it's inappropriate to ignore someone, which is something that I've encountered. Um when they actually live in the same, you know, house as you. So while you shouldn't expect your roommates on your roommate shouldn't expect of you that you guys hang out all the time. um, I think that if you are using the shared space, you should let your roommates know and make them feel like they are welcome in that space while you're using it. Yeah, and also the other side of that being be aware that, like, you don't want to be the person always using the shared space to, like, play video games or watch TV or watch a movie or have friends over and leave your roommate feeling like, I never get to use the living room. I never get to use the Xbox One because Steve's always using it. Like, be you know, sometimes you got to police yourself and be aware of how much time you're spending in the shared space. Right, but I also think that it is a great idea to get to know your roommates and to hang out with them every once in a while because you are living together and the more that you understand where they are coming from, the easier it will be to get along. This question is from Jada on Facebook. Is there a time when notes aren't passive aggressive? Say you and your roommate work opposite schedules or your roommate has company over and you don't want to interrupt, blah, blah, blah. I think, oh, goodness. I think that you need to schedule time. Okay, here it is. If you are leaving a note to schedule a meeting, that is not passive aggressive. Um, You need to be careful, of course, how you phrase it. But to leave the uh, articles that you wish to discuss in the meeting, that's a little passive aggressive. I think that you can say, I really need to talk to you. Are you available this evening at 6? In this day and age, is is texting better than leaving a note? Like, instead of leaving a note on the fridge, like, hey, if you finish the milk, replace it. Is is it more direct and better to text, like, hey, if you finish the milk, replace it, and let them know? So then you're opening a line of dialogue they can respond to? Um, I think that the, the minefield is a little less in texting. But still, I'm a real big proponent of you can leave a note or get a text to schedule a meeting. But all of these communication things are a lot better said face to face. Um, This question is from Rachel. How many guests qualify as needing permission for the gathering? Do you just mention you're having people over or is there a certain amount you need approval? So like if I'm having two friends over to watch TV versus like having a party. Um, I subscribe to the fact that two is company, three is a crowd. So if you are having one person over, you and them together, I think that that's fine as long as they don't stay, overstay their welcome, you know, for a TV show, like you said. Um, and then once it becomes three people are hanging out, I think that you need to communicate to your roommates what's going to be going on. So I have two follow-up questions for this because I think they'll flow well together. Um, This is from Morgan. What is the etiquette around dates and or significant others sleeping over? 
See, I think that this is this is a highly personal thing. Um, and so as far as etiquette goes, it's really up to you and your roommate to discuss what you expect of each other. Um, and, and, and that is discussed ahead of time. Yes, ahead of time. Not like while the date or significant other is sitting in the other room and you're like, hey, I brought somebody home. Is that cool? Like, no, that puts your roommate in a position. Don't put him in a position. Talk about him ahead of time. Right. Um, I would say that non-overnight dates are different from overnight dates. Yes. Um, and so they need to be put in separate categories. Um, if there is a non-overnight date and your roommate requests a specific shared space, say the couch, right, in front of the TV, and they don't want to be joined by you, then you need to make it clear, I'm going to have a date over this evening. Um, we are going to be using the couch and the TV. Um, so if you have other plans or if you wouldn't mind staying in your room for the evening, I'd appreciate it. Let me ask you this. Is there, what's, what, which do you think is the preferred method saying I am going to do this or saying like, is it okay if I do this? Um, well, the is it okay, I, I suppose I assumed happened when you discussed it before things happen, right? So when you got together and made your kind of like roommate meeting, discussing all of the options. So like general blanket, like what do we do if we want to bring a date to the room? Yes. Back to, okay, gotcha. So that's when I think I would like happens. But then because you need to feel like you have some kind of ownership of the space um, when it is that evening and you are telling your roommate what it is that you would like to do, then I think that you are within your rights, having already discussed the ifs, then whens, to say, I am going to do this. Because nothing is worse than feeling like a guest in your own home. Definitely. And also... Nothing's worse than if if the person sleeps over, waking up and going to get orange juice from the fridge to find a stranger in your home that you didn't know was going to be there. It's it's scary and off-putting and suddenly makes you feel very uncomfortable in your own home. Right. So like so the step 1 is before anything happens, before you guys cohabitate, you talk about the I would like to's and thens. And then when the situation arises, you echo back to that and say, I'm doing this. Just like we discussed. I'm going to do this tonight. Uh, this question is from Mary, which I'm going to put in the same category, but even one step further. What's the etiquette for having people stay longer term, like several days or a week in a shared house? Do you need to get agreement from everyone before you tell the person they can stay? Or do you just inform roommates that this is happening? I think that um, overnight guests, even one night, you need to inform everyone that it's happening. Because like you said, there's there's a very awkward moment when there may be someone in your home that you don't recognize. Yes. So uh, you need to introduce them to your roommates, at least, you know, let them see the, their face. And then 
um, everybody should agree on the length of term that this person can stay. Does But does the inform versus ask change like overnight versus a week? Definitely. I think that it does definitely change. Um, I think that more than one night um, becomes kind of like a... Uh, I don't want to say a hotel situation, but I do want to say... It's a house guest situation. It's a house guest situation. And everybody who is a member of the house should be aware of the house guest. And you should also be prepared in that scenario for someone to say no. Like, And I think that's justifiable because especially, especially in a scenario in which you like have to go to work or go to class and this person's going to be there without you there. Mm Mm-hmm. That's definitely something that can make a roommate justifiably uncomfortable. And if someone says, no, actually, I'm, I'm not comfortable with someone I don't know living in our house for a week, you need to be prepared for that response and accept it. I definitely As long as it's reasonable. Like, yeah. I mean, all of this, we're talking about reasonable things where um, having someone stay for a weekend, maybe because they live out of town, is different from your friend who just moved to the city who needs to crash on your couch for a month or two. Yes. All of these things are are different circumstances, but they all need to be discussed before they happen. Yeah, and, and, you know, in a perfect scenario, you should consider it also maybe there's another option where it's more like a job interview, where if your friend does want to stay for like a week in your home, that like you introduce them via like Skype video and let your roommates like talk to them and you know make an introduction not just like hey this stranger you've never met and i'm vouching for but you don't know it all is going to be in your home for a week like that's a justifiably like kind of you know anxious position to put someone in that's a great idea a a skype interview or something like that hey thank you um oh this is oh this is a good one this is from melissa how should your rent get broken up if the rooms are much different sizes Wow. Now, this is something that I have not encountered before, and it has always been just split down the middle. Um, I suppose that in, say, maybe a, a residential home situation where there's a master bedroom with an ensuite, um, and then several smaller bedrooms, that if you, if you have that bedroom, you may be inclined to share, to um, pay a little more. But then again, I think that if, oh gosh, there are just so many circumstances. What, because well, if you own the home and you are renting out the smaller rooms, you are welcome to charge whatever the market will pay. Yes. I've actually done this before. When Brent, okay, okay. the senior year, Brent and I and our friend David all lived together. And I had the big bathroom, or like big bedroom with its own bathroom. And Brent, I think, had the smallest room. And then David and Brent shared a bathroom. And like I paid like, you know, $100 more or something a month. But like we, w- the thing is, is like we went into that with that as the plan. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like after three months they came to me and they were like, you know what? It's really grating on us that we're all paying the same amount of money and we want this to change now. Right. And I think that we keep cycling back to this where it's about, before you agree with co-living that there needs to be a set of rules and things that you've already discussed before they come up because that's really when tempers flare 
Yes. I mean, and this goes along, there's a question from Mona, what questions should people ask or not ask when finding a roommate? And I think asking the question of like, have you roomed with anyone in the past? What kind of issues did you have with them? Like, you know, asking someone like, what's an annoying thing about you that I'm going to dislike in six months? Is, I don't think that's appropriate. That's not going to work out well. But if you say like, what do you think the most important thing for roommates to communicate about is? Like, or flat out saying I statements like, I like to have friends over. I like, I stay up late and play video games in the living room. I am very fastidious in the kitchen. It's very important to me that the kitchen stays clean. And, like, that more providing for them the opportunity for them to respond with I statements, like, I also care about that. I also agree with that. That kind of thing. Rather than saying, are you going to keep the kitchen clean? Which exactly. now puts them on the defense. Like Exactly. And um, I think that as far as dividing up utilities or room rents... That, again, has to be discussed before it happens, because once money enters in the situation, it gets it always gets more tense. So um, I think that I've had I've had different roommates where we all require different things. So it wasn't important to me to have cable television, but it was important to several of the other roommates. And the way that we we did that was they would pay for the cable television, but I also didn't get a cable hookup in my room because if I wasn't going to pay for the service, I wasn't going to partake in the service. Well, that makes sense. Cause like anybody I lived with now, I mean, I don't know why I wouldn't live with you, but I guess if we got other roommates, fast internet is very important to me because I work on the internet. And if it's not that important to someone else, like I would expect to pay more for it because I'd be using more of the bandwidth. Now that said, this is once again that it, why it's so important to communicate with them ahead of time. Because, for example, in your example, if you said, "Um, oh, it's not really important to me to have cable," and then like every time they came home from work, you were using the TV to watch stuff on cable, and exactly. they had to wait for you to finish a program, that is going to cause a lot of friction between roommates. Mm -hmm. So you kind of got to stick with the agreements. And be ready to discuss further if there's changes that need to be made. Exactly. And I think just like any relationship, you have to discuss before you're boiling. You have to say ahead of time, like, hey, this isn't okay. Like, we agreed ahead of time what this would be. Because if you sit on it and simmer for six months and then explode at them one day when you come home and they're watching Planet Earth on cable or whatever, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to damage that relationship. It's just no fun for anybody. It's not fun for you to be upset for so long, and it's not fun for them to be um, what they feel will be, like, blindsided. Um, here's one last question from Rini. What's the etiquette on pets and roommates? Should I keep my cat off communal furniture? Who makes the rules on where she can go? Again, this has to be discussed very uh, specifically. I think that if you come in to the roommate situation with pets, there needs to be a discussion of where the pets are allowed and where they aren't allowed. Um, and then if you wish to adopt a pet, it needs to be discussed before that paperwork goes through. And once again, just like having house guests discussed in such a way that you have to be prepared for your roommate to say no. Like coming home with a puppy and saying, is it okay if we keep them? <laughs> that is not all right. 
I mean, like, that's why discussing it ahead of time, knowing going into it, like, if you're going to move in with someone and you say, like, hey, just, you know, somewhere down the line, I love animals, I love pets, I don't have one now, but I will be very interested in getting one at some point. That's a way better upfront, because then if you go into it and they still agree, then you can say, like, I told you beforehand that this was going to be happening. So, like, this was discussed before we signed a lease on anything. So I'm assuming that this is okay. And I think that especially... Still, though, in that scenario, you should let them know before you bring home a puppy. Okay. I think that especially the pet scenario um, requires an exit strategy where if this it if if it is so important to you to have a pet and the other person in the situation does not want that pet there needs to be some amicable discussion as to um you relocating um and i i think that um it would come down to The situation, if you were renting from someone and they owned the apartment or their name was on the lease or anything like that, obviously you would be the one to move out, um, whether or not you disagreed with them wanting a pet or they disagreed with you wanting a pet. Um, but it's it's all so highly specific that, like we said, it's important that it all comes out beforehand. Don't go into an, a, a shared living arrangement without knowing the answer to these things. Just like any relationship, communication is key. Yeah. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, I, before we get into all the other wrap-up stuff, I wanted to recommend two things. One, Elizabeth Gilbert has a podcast on the MaximumFun.org network that is so amazing. Listen to it. Get inspired. Feel great. Do great things. It's called Magic Lessons. I cannot recommend it enough. And this is series two. So if you subscribed to the first series of Magic Lessons, you're not getting those. You're not getting the new ones. So yes. make sure that you head to where you're ge- you get your podcasts and find the next series to subscribe to. Um, and also, Teresa and I were fortunate enough on Tuesday night to go watch a couple episodes of Take My Wife which is Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher's uh, new show on CISO. Um, all six episodes are up right now on CISO TV. And I believe you can go to CISO TV or CISO.com and start a free trial today and go check out the show. I can I like, it was so funny and so genuine and so simultaneously adorable and relatable and hilarious. And it's just, it's an amazing show. Go check it out. Take my wife. Um, and also like, we're going to be doing a My Brother, My Brother and Me show on CISO. So I'll, I'm also just like a super big fan of everything CISO puts on. But I mean that legitimately, not just because we're going to be doing a TV show with them. So after those two plugs, um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for following us on Twitter. We're at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. Um, you can email us schmannerscast at gmail.com find us on Facebook schmanners in the group tab and you'll find it uh, check out all the other amazing maximumfun.org podcasts there's a ton of them on there that I know you're just you're just gonna love you're gonna really just wrap yourself up in them like a warm cozy blanket and just really just go to town listening to some great podcasts that's a really weird way to describe but yeah, you'll love it um, 
And if you get a second, maybe go on iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to, to Schmanners and, you know, tell a friend and share the episode and all that stuff. Do we have any specific thank yous, my dove? Well, as always, I'd love to thank Brent Brentlefloss Black for our uh, theme song, and that is available on iTunes um, as a ringtone. And then also, I'd like to thank Kayla M. Wassel, because everything that she does is beautiful. You should check out uh, all of her art that she did for us. Our banner art and thumbnail art is lovely. Go check out her portfolio. And if you're listening to this uh, on the day it comes out, or the next Saturday, I guess, the 12th or the 13th, uh, I'm doing our, our first ever Interrobang live show here in Los Angeles at the Three Clubs. Uh, Saturday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. here in Los Angeles. Tickets are only $8. We'd love to see you there. It's our first show. We wanted to just just be a whiz-bang firecracker. That's not a thing. <laughs> Where did I get that from? I don't know. I but like it. Thank you. So come out, see the show, The Three Clubs, 7.30 um, on August 13th. And, uh, yeah, oh, and check out all the other, um, we do a whole bunch of shows, uh, the McElroy's do, the whole family clan do a bunch of shows. You can find them all at McElroyShows.com. And, yeah, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.